Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey, I want to read a couple pieces of Scripture, two verses to you this morning. This morning's message is called Hearts and Minds. Hearts and Minds. We're going to look at two verses in particular. In fact, we'll just read them now. This is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Paul says this. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what we're doing this morning. We are in the process of walking all the way through the entire letter to the Philippians. And we finally made it to chapter 4. And many of you noticed that we kind of just jumped over the first five verses. And yes, in fact, we did do that. And we have started here in 6. And we're going to look at 6 and 7. And here's why we're doing that. The reason we're doing that is because... We're right in the middle in this section of one of those things that Paul sometimes does where he gets on a bit of a pastoral riff, and it's one of these pastoral riffs where he's essentially saying, here's how you kind of live the Jesus way. Here's the things you do. If you're going to be a Christian, here's the things you do to live the Jesus way. And he gets on this little roll. And if you read Paul, you're familiar with these these little riffs. And the first thing he says before he says this word to us is he essentially says, church, you want to live the Jesus way? Have joy in your heart all the time. Have joy in your heart all the time and be considerate in everything you do. That's what he says. And then he comes to this. He says, don't worry. Instead, pray. And then the next thing that he's going to say, well, we'll get to that next week. But you might be wondering, why did I jump over the joy part? Well, I jumped over the joy part because a few weeks ago, Ray Hollenbach gave us a really good word on joy. And I just didn't want to belabor it. I wanted to move right on through the letter. So I wanted to focus right here for this Sunday morning. And I want to talk about the journey from worry and anxiety to peace that you can't understand. Is that okay? Yeah, that's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about making that journey and having peace that you can't understand guard your heart and your mind. Here's the thing about worry and anxiety. Everybody in here deals with it. In fact, you can think of the most confident and sure person. Imagine that friend that you have who is extremely confident and extremely sure. And what I want you to know about that person or that friend is that they are someone who sometimes deals with anxiety and worry. It's just part of what it means in some ways to be a person. What's interesting about worry and anxiety is that it is almost completely a universal human emotion. It is almost completely a universal human experience. All of us can remember those times when we've been locked up with fear. But what's interesting about it is even though it's a universal human experience and a universal human emotion the reasons why we feel it are oftentimes really diverse. And so some of the things that trigger you don't necessarily trigger me and 
vice versa. For instance, some of us this morning are actually even now really worried and we're really anxious because of money problems. And I think that's something that happens to probably all of us. Anybody here ever been a little concerned about the dollars in the bank? Yeah, like, and you know what's interesting? Um, It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. This little poison can infect your heart. Um, I, I've never been super rich, but Heather and I had a moment in our life about five years ago where we had a little more than, than we were used to. And you know what? If I didn't watch it, we were still really anxious. And Heather and I have had seasons in our life where we had very, very little. And if I didn't watch it, it would infect my heart, right? And how many of you understand this? This is what normally happens. I mean, I'm just, I, think, I think we kind of understand this, especially as it relates to money. What normally happens is something like this. Um, you get an electric bill that's twice what you thought it was going to be, and then your car blows up, and then all of your kids grow out of all their shoes in one week, right? (laughs) Yeah, some of you who are like single and in college are like, okay, never getting married. Done. Yeah. Yeah, some of us worry about money problems. Other people in the room are worried about health problems. And here's what's interesting. Some of us in the room are worried about our health issues even though we don't have any health issues. You know those people? You know, they're perfectly fine. They're sure at any moment they're going to drop dead. Now, this is one of those worries that's pretty common to people that I don't really struggle with. Like, health and well-being, not really my thing. It doesn't really, doesn't really infect my brain until I sit down on an airplane. And this is, this is like new. But how many of you have ever sat on an airplane and just thought about all the people who have been in that seat you know they never clean those things right they never ever clean those things and so recently especially because i've been traveling a lot more i sit down on an airplane almost every time one of the first thoughts in my brain is well i wonder what kind of norovirus is in this seat with me you know and then it's always hot before they take off and so you turn the little air thing on and it blows right in your face and i can't help but think i'm dead you know I'm certainly going to be dead. I'm here. It's illogical. But I'm here. Others of us in the room are worried about our kids. And I think most parents understand this to a certain point. But beyond like the garden variety that parents sometimes experience, which, by the way, God wants to set us free, even from the garden variety. But beyond the garden variety... There are probably some people here who are completely locked up with anxiety and worry over your children. You're worried about their health. You're worried about their future. You're worried about them playing in the backyard. You're worrying about them breaking their arms. You're worrying about their grades. You're worrying about their friends. And it just goes on and on. And what's interesting is your worry doesn't really help them. It just makes you more neurotic, right? Others of us in the room are worried about being lonely. And not just being lonely, which, by the way, totally sucks, but we're worried that we'll always be lonely. Some of us in the room are worried that we're never going to find our someone. Or we're super worried about keeping the someone that we have. It's pretty common. And when you're worried about never finding your someone, or if you're super worried about keeping the someone you have, you typically vacillate between holding a little too tightly or getting a little too desperate. And sometimes when we get desperate, we settle. 
I just want to speak to the girls for a second here at the vineyard. This is not your friend, Adam Russell. This is Pastor Adam. Can I talk to the girls as Pastor Adam? Not your friend, but Pastor Adam. Girls, don't ever settle. Don't ever settle. And here's what I mean by settling in particular. Do not settle for someone who does not have a job and does not love Jesus. Bottom line, ladies, this is at least the bare minimum at the vineyard. Like, if you're going to come talk to me about your bro, I want to know two things. Does he love Jesus? And will he do something? Will he work? This is, this is supremely, supremely important. Don't settle. Don't be that desperate. And then on the other side, sometimes, sometimes we get a little too desperate and we just date and date and date and date and we just burn through relationships like couches in Lexington when Kentucky wins the Final Four, you know? <laughs> you know, like, like if we were to look at your Instagram account in the last six months, if we see like seven girls' faces... In your Instagram account in the last six months, like, you have an issue, bro. You have an issue. Like, stop it. Stop it. All, it's, all it is revealing is that you're like a really insecure person. And maybe, maybe rather than being super afraid of being alone for a minute, maybe you just need to be alone for a minute, you know? Let's take a break here just for a second. What's the point of this? The point of this is everybody's got some anxiety. Everybody's got some fear and insecurity. And it manifests all kinds of ways, right? But here's the thing. Here's why we worry. Or at least the thing that I believe animates our worry. I believe at the bottom of the barrel, you and I worry and we become anxious because we've become awakened to the reality that there's an awful lot in life that's outside of our control. That's the main reason we worry. It's when you and I become conscious of the fact that there is a ton of stuff in life that no matter how smart you are, and no matter how strong you are, and no matter how diligent and how much you work, you cannot control it. What does that mean? Here's what it means. By the way, side note, it's going to be depressing for a moment. Frederick Beckner says this, you can't preach the good news until it's bad news first. Here's what it means when we wake up to the reality that there's an awful lot in life that you can't control. Number one, it means just because you're great with money doesn't mean you always have enough. And just because you eat really good and just because you work out, it doesn't mean that you won't get sick. And just because you love your kids doesn't mean they won't go crazy. By the way, lots of really good parents have had, get, have had kids go wacko. And just because you take a risk, or maybe even two risks in love, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be happily ever after. Life is not a video game. This thing that we're living, it is not a Hollywood movie. You are not Emma Stone. I am not Casey Affleck. That's a joke. See, here's the thing. As much as you and I hate it, really bad things happen to good people. And really good things sometimes happen to terrible people. And as much as you want it, and as much as I want it, we are not the masters of our own universe. 
We're not even the masters of our tiny little world. Here's the interesting thing. Humans have been given an amazing ability to choose and to direct and to shape their lives and to shape the future. And yet, even the most disciplined are living in a very dangerous world with very few guarantees. There's just a ton of stuff that is, that is in play in life that no matter how smart you are, no matter how diligent you are, no matter how many times you show up, you will literally not be able to control it. It doesn't matter if you're a great parent. Sometimes the kids just grow up to be their own person. Also a joke. They all do. Here's what I love though. Here's what I love. I love that even though you and I are awake and aware of the fact that there are things which are out of our control, I love that the scripture gives us an antidote this morning. And the antidote is really simple. It's prayer. Look at the verse this morning. Look at how Paul frames this. In verse 6, he begins with worry and anxiety, right? Don't be worried about anything. Now look at verse 7. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. What stands between the worry that everybody has and the peace that's beyond anything that anyone can understand? Look. Pray. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He's done. It's super, super simple. Prayer's the antidote. Sometimes anxiety is like a tidal wave, but the good news is that prayer can be a life draft. And usually at the beginning, it's a very small life draft. But the good news is that between worry and peace that exceeds anything that anybody can understand is prayer. And it's simple prayer at that. Look at what Paul says. Tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. How many of you think that you could tell God what you need and that you could thank Him for what He's done? Yeah. Like, you could teach your kid to do that. Like, literally, two-year-olds could ask God for what they need and thank Him for what He's done. It's so accessible. See, the good news is always, always accessible. Here's one thing that I think we might want to hold in our heads and hearts. Maybe it's a new way to think about anxiety. A new way to think about worry. What if we begin to think about worry like this? What if all anxiety and all worry is an invitation to pray? What if all of our worries and fears and anxiety are not so much just worry, fear, and anxiety, but what if they are an actual prayer reflex trying to rise up within us? What if this is our spirit trying to direct us toward God? See, that's actually the genius of what Paul says here. He's framing worry against peace with prayer in the middle. And the prayer that he prescribes is, tell God what you need, thank Him for what He's done. See, here's the thing. Not only is worry, not only is worry you and I waking up to the fact that we are not the ones who are in control, Worry is actually something more poisonous than that. Worry is you and I waking up to the fact that there are things in life which we cannot control. And it is also, in addition to that, the deep, deep desire on the inside 
for you and I to be God while simultaneously knowing we are not. We want to control this thing. Worry is waking up to life realizing that what we really want is we want to be masters of the universe. Not just my own, but the universe. While simultaneously knowing that we are not. And the distance between those two desires and those two realities is called anxiety. And in the process of that, the prescription is very, very simple. Don't worry. Don't live in the tension of trying to be God when in fact you are not. Instead, start going to God. It's the antidote. It's the brilliance of what Paul says. It's so simple, but it's so brilliant. Rather than pretending that everything that happens in your life is literally up to you or up to me, that it's up to my strength or it's up to your strength, instead begin to relate in a greater reality, which is there is a God in heaven and He is ordering the universe. Begin to, begin to come off of your own throne. Begin to come off of my own throne and begin to look upon Him. That's what Paul's saying. And I love the simplicity here. I love the simplicity. It is wonderful. It is so accessible. And here's part of what it means. It means that you and I don't have to be powerful. It means that you and I do not have to be powerful. It means that we don't have to have answers. It is good to come to God. Look at what he says. Tell God what you need. Prayer doesn't mean that you have to be a powerful person. Prayer is an acknowledgement, in fact, that we are not powerful people. Prayer doesn't mean that you have to have all the answers. Rather, it is an acknowledgement that we do not have all the answers. And it doesn't, it doesn't offend God that you don't have the answers and that you don't have everything that you need. In fact, He wants us to come to Him. And so when I come to Him, not only am I seeing Him, but I'm actually seeing myself in proper order. It's as though, it's as though the constellations are being laid out again in the right manner. Prayer is to acknowledge my own position in God's universe. I'm not the sun. I'm just one little star and a greater constellation that sits within a galaxy, that sits within a billion galaxies. And He is the very center. I don't have to be powerful. I don't have to be independent. I don't have to squeeze life out with my own strength. And so we pray. And Paul says to pray about everything. And he says, pray about the things we need help with. Pray about the things that we're weak in. Pray about the things that we worry over, but also the things that we are strong in and the things that we feel no anxiety in. I would like to throw that in as well. It is is living life with God. Worry, I'm convinced of this, worry does not leave when we only bring our anxieties to God. See, acknowledging our need in some places is sometimes not enough. As though there were other areas that we did not need Him. See, that's the, that, is, that is always the lie that's hidden within all of our strength. The truth is God has given us abilities. The truth is God has given you aptitude, strength, and abilities. That is true. But at the same time, if we begin to believe that, disconnected from the knowledge of God or the presence of God, our very strengths become a snare to us and we will be trapped in them. There is nothing There is no place in my life that I do not need God in. Even the places where you might think that I'm strong. Even the places where I might think that I'm strong. Paul says in another place, where I'm weak, what? That's the place I'm strong. This is the power of the gospel. So there is no place. We can just come to God, not only with the things that are anxious to us and worrisome, but we can also come to Him with our strength. And I believe that we must. And so, how do we pray? How do we do this? 
Do we do it with big words and long sentences? Probably not. You don't have to be poetic. Paul says, tell him what you need and thank him for what he's done. That's such a great template for prayer. And you start by telling him what you need. I love that because part of what it reveals is that God is not an egomaniac. God doesn't need you to butter him up by telling him how powerful and good he has been to your life. Isn't this wonderful? You could actually start with, God, I'm your child, and from what I can tell, I'm experiencing lack, and I have need, and I need you. You don't have to start with, oh, great and mighty Oz. (laughs) You can start with your actual human needs. It would be good and right to do so. But he also says transition into thanking him for what he's done. So you tell him what he's need, what you need. Confess your need. God is not trying to humiliate you. He is trying to wake us all up to the reality that everything that we really need comes from him. And then we tell him thanks for everything that he's done. See, even in our needs, we are not without hope. Even in the midst of struggle, we are not without hope. That's part of what Paul is highlighting here. Like even on your worst day when you don't have anything and you really, really need God, even when anxiety is crushing you from the inside out, the good news is no matter who you are, God has been kind to you. He will continue to be kind to you and your history is literally littered with the goodness of God. Like, you could be the most tortured and wretched person. You could have a life that is nothing but, in some ways, pain upon pain upon pain upon pain. And if you look a little bit closer, if we take the microscope of God's vision and we place it on your life, one of the things that we will discover is that over and over and over again, God has been kind and he has been benevolent and he's been merciful to you. That's the way it works. So even in our need, we're not without hope. He has been good to us, and if He has been good to us, He will be good to us. Now this begs the question, this begs the question, well, what about prayer when it doesn't seem to work? Anybody in here ever prayed for something that didn't happen? Anybody here ever been sorely disappointed? If you haven't, you will. What do we do when prayer doesn't seem to work? I just want to give you a a bunch of images here. Just sort of like a shotgun blast of images for what prayer is. I think these are better images of prayer than maybe some of them that we've grown up with. Prayer is, in my opinion, a lot like vitamins. Prayer is like eating good or working out. Prayer is like a good marriage or having a friend, or maybe even learning to ride a bike. And by the way, I know that right now I'm about to break every preaching rule there is in the book because I'm about to tell you the honest-to-God truth. See, what I'm supposed to do right now is I'm supposed to figure out a way to tell you that prayer is basically donuts and Netflix. (laughs) That it's easy, that it's entertaining, and that it's instantaneous. Now here, let me say this. Sometimes... Prayer is easy, and sometimes prayer is entertaining, and sometimes it is instantaneous. But 
from my experience and from the witness of the scriptures, the thing I can tell you that is way more accurate is this. Prayer is mostly like working out, eating healthy, or saving 5% of your income. Here's what I mean. All of those things that I just mentioned, none of them seem to matter in an individual sense. Let me, let me frame it like this. How many of you know that one good, healthy meal doesn't lower your cholesterol? Right? And one workout will never change the shape of your body. No matter how hard you go. No matter if you do 17.1 in nine minutes. A few people know what I'm talking about. Still feeling it, I think. And here's the other thing. One little bit of savings will not prepare you for retirement. It just won't. And in a similar manner, one prayer doesn't really change the shape of your soul. Instead, prayer is the persistent drop that carves the stone. Prayer is the compounding interest that adds up over time. And prayer is the training session that makes us just a little bit faster and just a little bit stronger, but in our soul. So what am I trying to say? Well, here's what I'm trying to say. Don't be surprised if you start praying. And after one week, don't be surprised if all of your problems aren't gone. Don't be surprised if prayer doesn't do you much good after seven days. But at the same time, you'll be totally blown away what six months of praying every single day could do to your heart and to your mind. Here's the other thing I want to say about this. Sweat isn't, it doesn't mean as well, prayer isn't all sweat and agony. Some of us are thinking, well, okay, it's saving money, it's eating good, and it's working out. This is going to suck. No. Prayer isn't all sweat and agony. Because prayer is also friendship, marriage, and riding a bike. Right? How many of you have a great friend? How many of you have a best friend? Yeah, I hope you have a best friend. Everybody in here needs a best friend. This is not a part of the message, but it is part of the message. Everybody here needs a best friend, and you need a best friend who's not your husband or your wife. This is so true. You, you gotta have, that doesn't mean you love them more. It just means you've got to have somebody that you are in love with that is your best, best friend. And maybe you're married to that person, but you need somebody in addition to the person you're married to. You've got to have a best friend. Yeah. Let's think about being best friends here for a minute. Um, when you become friends with somebody, how many of you have ever noticed that like, you become friends because it's just fun? Like, right? Like, it's fun to be together. Like, you, you like maybe some of the same stuff. Maybe you like going to the same places. You're into the same things. And it's just fun to share life with. Like, even if you're a supreme introvert, you have to admit that it's fun to have friends. Like, you need a friend or two. And it's fun to be together. And as fun as it is to go to the movies utterly alone, which I totally love, by the way, it's also fun to go with a friend or two, right? Yeah. So prayer's like, prayer's like friendship. You know, that thing that brings you together is there's, there's some kind of a connection, and we might call that connection fun. Yeah. Talking to God, like when you can get really quiet, when you can get really quiet and you begin to tell God the truth, whatever the truth is, and it's always important in prayer to be honest because Jesus can't shape or form our fake lives, our posturing. He can only form and shape our actual lives. So if we continue to posture before him for years, 
we will oftentimes see him do nothing. It's only when we become dead, honest with God that we begin to see things change in prayer. It's really weird. When we become vulnerable, open, naked, honest, and tell the absolute truth to God, there is a cleansing in the soul that happens. And I don't know that I would call it fun, but I would call it exhilarating. To know that there is a God in heaven, that He sees me, and even in my unworthiness, He calls me lovely. Right? It's friendship. It's friendship. Now, how many of you also know that if you have a good friend long enough, they eventually drive you nuts? Yeah. This is exactly what will happen in prayer. If I'm being super honest, you will begin to pray. You will set your heart to prayer. You will pray. You will pray. You will pray. Things will happen. Things will happen that you could not believe will happen. You will change the way you think. The way you feel will change. And then suddenly, at a certain point, it will get weird. And God will drive you nuts. And here's why. Here's why. Because he's a person. This is why. Like the thing that makes it attractive is the thing that eventually will make it more difficult. Because he's a person. Like the great thing about praying, the great thing about being a friend of God is that he's a person. Wow, who knew that? He's not just a floating ball of intelligence hanging in the ether. He's like a real person. This is great. And that even in my weakness, he calls me lovely. That's great. And then eventually we begin to connect, we begin to connect, we begin to connect, we become friends, we become friends. And then eventually, in our friendship, God begins to be God. Dang it. Right? Yeah. And why, what do I mean by that? Well, sometimes, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we think that even though we're friends with God and we begin to pray, sometimes we get the notion that prayer is basically having our little puppy do what we want to for us. And so God becomes the dog and we just tell him what to do, right? So prayer is essentially me telling my dog what to do. Don't pee there. Come over here. Lick my toes. Go with me on my walk, right? And we wake up to the fact that God is not our dog. And that just because we pray for something and just because we command it and just because we shout it really loud doesn't mean that he's going to do it. In fact, at a certain point, we wake up to the fact that God is not a dog, that he is God. This is, this is like, and this is when it gets really annoying. I'm just talking about, these are the seasons and pa- patterns of, of, of prayer, by the way. By the way, the more, the, more, the more the truth I'm telling you this morning, the more this room is getting like disruptive and crazy. Have you all noticed that? Yeah, I'm, let me just tell you about prayer. It will start fun, it will become a grind, and then it will get fun again, and then it will become a grind, because we're not dealing with a little puppy, we are dealing with a God. The God. The only one. He's not a lap dog. It's not all sweat and agony. It's friendship. It's marriage. Like with Heather and I, we've loved each other for so many years now. Um, we've been married almost 18 years. And we were together five years before that. I met her when she was a freshman in high school. We've liked each other so much. And it's that part of us that likes each other, that has drawn us together. We've built a life together, which is like 98% great, right? And that 2% is a a humdinger, you know? Yeah, This this is what it means to relate to God. These are much better images. By the way, none of the problems are on his end. Prayer is kind of like riding a bike. 
Um, nobody rides a bike. Nobody rides a bike dreaming of dreaming of falling down, scraping their elbow, bruising their ribs, and climbing long hills. No, you, you, you ride a bike because it's fun. And you ride a bike because you want to go faster and you want to hit a little dirt jump. And, and you just, you want to like, you want to go faster than you can go. You want to go faster than you can run because it's fun, right? Prayer's a lot like that. In fact, I'll tell you a little story. Um, just this week, my little guy, Rowan, he's three. He's three, and, you know, look, I'm just going to brag on my kid this morning. I'm not saying that your kids aren't great. I'm just saying that my kid is. That's, you know. Okay, so this week, Rowan, he's like three years old. And Rowan comes to me, and he says, Dad, take the training wheels off my bike. I'm like, dude, you're three. Three Three-year-olds don't ride their bikes. He's like, Dad, take the training wheels off my bike. Fair enough. Take those training wheels off. I set him on the bike. And he just takes off riding. I know that there's probably other three-year-old kids who have ridden bikes without training wheels. I'm just saying, I haven't seen them. <laughs> yeah, that's our life in God. That's prayer. That's prayer. He, he, was, he was drawn to something more, right? And by the way, the reason he wanted his training wheels off is because his brothers don't have training wheels on their bikes. Right? Yeah. Here's the other thing that happened this week. Some of y'all saw the little video. Did you guys see the video that Heather posted on Instagram? It's hilarious, isn't it? Because he's like going down the hill. Our house sits up on a hill in front of the vineyard. He says, you know, this is Rowan as well. He's been infected by like YouTube videos, like with little kids and they open up toys. It's horrible, okay? Anyway, he said, Mom, make a, make a YouTube of, a, of me, which means video me. And so he gets on his bike. He goes to the top of our yard and he starts riding his bike down. And he's like doing so good. And he, you know, he comes by Heather and he gets his cameo. He looks over. And then, you know, in front of our vineyard, it just goes really straight down. And then you hear him, you see him go down and he's picking up speed and he's picking up speed and he's picking up speed. And the very end of the video, if you listen closely, all you hear is, ah, right? But you don't, you don't see the rest of it because Heather quits videoing to go after him, right? The rest of the video is he picks up significant speed. I mean, you, and what's crazy, he's just a little guy and his little legs are like, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. He goes all the way down and, but he doesn't quit pedaling. He goes all the way down and right in the flat, like right in the last second, he's like, you know, he's got like a little scrape and he cut, like cut his hand or whatever. It's prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I'll tell you another story because I'm doing good on time. It's related to the bike story, okay? So last night, last night I am at home and I'm watching basketball. Come on, who's watching basketball? Go Cats. Okay, anyway, I'm, I'm watching basketball. I'm watching inferior teams. <laughs> I'm watching inferior, inferior offense and defense, and um, I get a phone call from a friend. He's an older friend, and um, many of you guys would know him. And um, he's an interesting dude. I, I would just put him 
at times, at times, not all the time, but at times I would call this guy like very prophetic, right? And he said, Adam, hey, I'm calling you because the Lord just spoke to me about you. I said, what? He says, tell the church the bike story. I'm like, what bike story? He says, the one that happened this week. I'm like, what bike story? He says, all I know is you have a bike story. It happened this week. Tell the church, right? I'm like, the only one I can think of is Rowan started riding without training wheels this week. And he's blowing our minds. He's like cutting it up and riding. And, and he's like, yeah, you need to tell that story. And I'm like, well, why am I going to tell this story? And he says, well, I just feel like the Lord's saying that things that other generations haven't done, the next generation is going to do, right? And when he told me this, I just, I just felt that thing that's the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, this is, I'm, Jesus is talking to me, but it's, it's another person's voice. I'm like, hey, thanks for the phone call. And I hung up. And Rowan's sitting next to me. And so I'd look at Rowan and I said, hey, Rowan, tell me, Tell me, what, tell me what to tell people about riding a bike. And Rowan looks right up at me and he says, tell them to take the training wheels off. <laughs> I literally came here this morning to tell you guys, take the training wheels off. I think this is a word from the Lord. Take the training wheels off. Some of us, even in prayer, and I think this, I think this really relates to prayer. Some of us have been, have been doing kitty prayer, you know? Some of us have been doing kitty prayer. And what is kitty prayer? What, what, are kids, what do kids want? Always. What they want. Right? That's what they want, right? Kids always just want what they want. And I think God is inviting us to take the training wheels off in prayer and to begin to say, God, I want what you want. I want what you want. It doesn't mean you can't tell him what you need. Tell him what you need. Thank him for what he's done. But let the, let the atmosphere of being with them in prayer, let it begin to shape us to people who are not just saying, God, I want what I want, and you're my little dog, and here we go. But God, I want what you want. You know, Jesus in the garden stuff. Not my will, but yours. That's, that's like PhD level Christianity, but it's the one we're called to. Furthermore, look at the promise here this morning. This is really what I wanted to get to. You start out with worry and anxiety, but in verse 7, then you will experience, then, what? If you will pray, if you will tell God what you need, and if you will thank Him for what He's done, then, how long will that take? I don't know, but then, later, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand and His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. What a promise. You'll experience peace that you cannot understand. Now let me just talk to you about peace that you cannot understand for a moment. Some of us are hoping, and these are the kitty prayers, these are training will prayers. Some of us are hoping that God will give us the peace that we do understand. In fact, one of the things I've noticed about my own life, if I can just be very transparent, is that most of the prayer up to this point in my life has been training will prayer that is me hoping that God will, that God will give me the peace which perfectly makes typical worldly sense. What do I mean by that? Well, I have money problems. God, would you give me, uh, would you give me lots of money so I don't have money problems? God, I have sickness in my body. Will you give me healing that takes away the sickness in my body? Uh, I have relationship problems. God, will you show everyone that I'm awesome and that I'm right? <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> Come on, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. And I am. I am. <laughs> like, I really am. 
No. Paul says that if you do these things, then you get the, you get the peace that, that surpasses any understanding. See, here's, here's worldly understanding. I, I want a big house. I want a sexy car. I want two boats and ten vacations. And if I can get all of that, then I'll have peace. Right? I want my kids to be perfect. I want my spouse to love me. I want everyone to know that I'm right. And I want a stack load of money in the bank. Yet what Paul is offering here is the peace that surpasses any kind of understanding. God's offering us another deal. He's offering us peace when we don't have money. Peace when we are sick in our body. Peace when our kids are crazy, legitimately crazy. And peace when no one thinks we're right, but when everyone thinks we're wrong. Because I want to remind you that the guy who penned these words in Philippians wrote them in jail, about to be killed by the state. Peace that doesn't make sense. And how many of you know, I'm sure Paul prayed, God, get me out of here. But then at a certain point, getting out of there is not the prerequisite for having the peace of Christ. And I want to tell you, the good news is this morning that you and I can have peace that does not equal our circumstances. Come on. This is pretty good news. This is gospel. I would say this is gospel. Also a joke. (laughs) I would be willing to say this is gospel. And then look at what he says will happen. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. This is so, so important. How would you like for God to guard your heart and mind? Translation. How would you like for God to guard your thoughts and your emotions? Amen. Amen. Uh, One last little thing here. How many of you have ever noticed that sometimes if you get stirred up or attacked in your thoughts, it always spills over into your emotions? Right? You get a poisonous thought, you entertain the poisonous thought, pretty soon you're acting poisonous. Like you are a crazy person. You're literally biting people's heads off who didn't even trouble you. You're becoming a monster, right? Or how many of you have ever noticed this? That if you get attacked in your emotions, then you start thinking poisonous thoughts. Like you'll become suspicious of people who are actually for you and you'll become convinced that they're against you. Yeah. Paul says, pray, tell God what you need. Thank him for what he's done. Then you get peace that doesn't make any sense. It'll guard your hearts and minds. Some of us, some of us, because we haven't done this, We have unguarded thoughts, we have unguarded emotions, and now we have panic attacks. Like literally, literally, people at this church have panic attacks. There's nothing wrong with you. Some of of us in this room have thought we were having a heart attack. You're not having a heart attack. You have unguarded thoughts, and you have unguarded emotions, and they are wide open to the demonic realm. By the way, I just want you to know, I am so medieval, I believe in the devil, and I believe in demons. (laughs) That is how medieval I am in my thinking, right? And, and an unguarded mind and an unguarded heart, man, you could, you could go to the, the emergency room and, and they could tell you things like, well, there's nothing wrong with you. And you're like, I know there's something wrong with me. I'm dying. No, no, no. What is the antidote? Well, the antidote might be going to see a counselor. And if that's what it takes, by all means, do it, right? Let's, not, let's, let's don't ignore our issues. But I know one thing for certain. In addition to probably going to see a counselor, you need to pray about everything. Everything, everything, everything. Never, ever, ever be the kind of person who would do the one without the other. Like here at the Vineyard, we believe in healing, like miraculous healing. Here at the Vineyard, we believe in deliverance, like 
like Jesus, Isaiah 61 stuff. We believe in all of that. And because we believe in that, we believe the Holy Spirit is here to do things with us. But it doesn't mean we don't believe in things like therapy or taking the pill. Here's the thing. If you need to take a pill or if you need to go to therapy, by all means, go and do it. But don't do it without also praying. Don't do the one without the other. Why? Because it guards our hearts and it guards our minds. Think about the most mature people that you know. I would be willing to bet you all the money in my pocket. Yes, I am talking about gambling. Just kidding. I would be willing to bet you all the money in my pocket that that person is a prayer person. Prayer people are unshakable. Dude, come on. Prayer people are unshakable. I could tell you stories for days about that. But it's 1222. (laughs) Oh, man. I feel the love of the Lord. I feel the lightness of Jesus. Peace that passes understanding. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Come on up, come on up. Everybody else can stand up. What a good thing. Here's some action for us this morning. You can take a screenshot of this. Help me, River. I'm trying to use the force on it. There we go. You can take a screenshot of that. Here's some things we can do this week. Commit to praying every single day. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He's done. You don't have to be flashy. Talk to Him like a friend. And if you get stuck, pray the Psalms. So simple. We can do that. Lord, we love you in this room. Thanks for your kindness and thanks for gifts. Gifts like peace that doesn't make any sense. So available. God, I ask that even here with this group of people, these lovely faces, God, I ask that you would wake us up to having a hunger and a desire to pray. God, I ask that you would teach us that all of our anxiousness is a prayer reflex. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is not worried, who is not concerned, who is filled with joy and laughter. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything this morning, you come on up. We want to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.